0: You're listening to TIP.
1: Everything with seller finance is about gain. What does that mean? It means they just want to sell their property for a higher dollar amount than what it's worth and they want
2: to gain more money. They want to win. In this week's episode, I talk with Pace Morby in part two of this two part series all about creative financing, seller financing, and sub two. As I mentioned at the beginning of last week's episode, this is a two part series with Pace Morby and this week we bring you part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, which was last week's episode, I recommend you go back and listen to that one first before starting this one. I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as you did the first one and this two-part series as a whole. Now, let's get right into part two.
0: You're listening to Real Estate Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey.
1: Here's why. One of the biggest reasons why people buy real estate is for the tax benefits. So this year I will make millions of dollars, like take home millions and millions of millions of dollars I will take home to my family from all of the businesses I own. I will pay 0 dollars in tax because of all the real estate I own and I have the deed to those real pieces of real estate in my LLCs and the deed gives me the ability to get tax write-offs and tax incentives to wipe out all my income. The IRS awards us. They give us a reward for owning real estate. If I buy something on a lease option, it's a lease with an option to buy. And so therefore I am not technically the owner and technically I cannot get tax benefits until I decide to execute my option. And so I don't buy every house this way. I buy every house with subject to or seller finance. That's how you get rid of the due on sale clauses. You buy so there's two ways to get rid of the due on sale clause. One, just buy the house in a lease option with an with your option price to be the, the mortgage balance, or B, buy the property with, this is going to get even further in the weeds, an agreement for sale. Okay? And what is an agreement for sale? You could call it a land contract, contract for deed, agreement for sale. They're all the same thing, but they're just different states, have different names for them. It's the same way you buy an RV, or it's the same way you buy a trailer or a vehicle, is that the bank will not release the deed to you until you've paid it off. But you have. I can go and have an agreement with the bank. So we have done this in the past, but we don't love doing it because I want to hold the deed in my name for the tax benefits. But if a seller is like, hey, Pace, I do want to sell my house to you this way, but I'm afraid of the due on sale clause. I just go, okay, well, why don't we do it on an agreement for sale? And in an agreement for sale, what's different about a lease option is that on an agreement for sale, I actually have an agreement that states... And I take this agreement and I literally take it down to the county recorder's office and I file it against the property. So it shows up as public record and it shows I'm the owner on this property, but I do not hold the deed. And so it puts a cloud on title and it makes it so I'm the owner, but the previous seller holds the deed until I decide I want the deed. What we do is like the deed, it's literally a one-page document. People that don't know what a deed is, I should pull it up. But a deed is a one-page document. So what we do is we pre-sign the deed, The seller signs it. I sign it. It gets notarized. And we hold that deed for as long as we want, five years, 10 years, 15 years, literally in a safety deposit box. And the day that I decide I want to transfer the deed into my name, let's say I want to sell it or I want to refinance it. All I do is I pull that deed out. I walk down to the county recorder's office. I spend $17 and I record the deed and I become the owner of record. That is what we call an agreement for sale.
2: How hard is all of that to explain to somebody that you're trying to buy their property from? I tell everything through stories, and so
1: it's actually very easy to explain. So, like I tell stories about F one hundred and fifty trucks. If I never bring up subject to agreement for sale, lease option, seller finance, I never bring up any of that stuff. I always just tell it in a story. Like, so for example, I I told a story the other day. um, It's the same story I tell a thousand times a year. When a seller says, "I don't know what this means," right? Like they don't know what seller finance means. I go, "Well, you know, seller finance is very literal. Like the seller is financing me." people still don't understand that. I then tell the the sellers a story, and it's my F-150 story. So I go, okay, well, Susan, I used to have an F-150. Okay, It had 320,000 miles on it. It was time for me to sell that truck. It wasn't serving my construction business anymore. It was starting to have like engine failure and engine problems. And so I decided to go and see what it was worth to see what I could sell it for. So Susan, the seller, I go, so Susan, your house where do you go to verify owner, like verify, like verify what it's worth? She's like, Zillow. I go, okay, well, Zillow for cars is what? She's like, Kelly Blue Book. I go, exactly. So I go to Kelly Blue Book, the Zillow for cars, and I find out my truck that's made me hundreds of thousands of dollars being in my construction business is only worth five grand. And I know that if I go put that truck on Craigslist for five grand, I'm not getting five grand. What am I getting? I'm going to get 3,500 bucks the same thing with the motorcycle. If you have a KTM that you bought for 10 grand, you go put it on Craigslist, you're not getting 10 grand. Somebody's going to say, $8,700 cash. And I go, Susan, so this is what happens with investors. You want to sell your house for 100 grand, people are going to come in and lowball you at fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 so that they can make money. right? I go, I, I'm belligerent, just like you, Susan. This is a true story, by the way. This is how I, I got one of my first zero down, 0% seller finance deals was with, with Susan telling the same story. I go, so Susan, you want to sell your house for 100 grand, but everybody else is coming to you for $60,000 offers. Why? What if I came up to 100 grand? Would you give me terms? She has no idea what terms are. So I then started telling her this story about the F 150. I go, so Susan, I, I'm belligerent, just like you. You want 100 grand? I'm thinking I want 10 for something that is really only worth five. So I'm stupid. I go to Craigslist and I go put my truck on Craigslist for $10,000. And I go, Susan, you're not going to sell your house for 100 grand. Everybody's offering you 60. Just like I'm not going to sell my truck for 10,000, people are going to offer me 3,500 bucks. So I go, Susan, do you think I even sold my truck for $10,000 after three months of being on Craigslist? She's like, well, obviously not. It's been on Craigslist for three months. And I go, no, I didn't. I didn't sell that for... I didn't even get a call, an offer, a text. I didn't get anything. It was obviously wildly outrageous for me to sell that truck with 320,000 miles for 10 grand. What did I do? Like, I, I don't know. I go, kind of same predicament you're in. You have a hundred, you, what you think is worth $100,000 to you is only worth $50,000 on the market. I go, Susan, here's what I did. I'm sitting there in my office. I'm catching up on emails. My wife walks into me and she says, Hey, sweetheart, could you sell the truck? Cause like every time I come home or I leave, I got to like navigate around the truck in the driveway and it's kind of being a pain in the ass. And I'm like, sweetheart, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I'm not selling this truck for five grand. She goes, You're the creative finance guy. Why don't you take payments for it? I go, oh my gosh, it's so genius. So what I did is I went back to Craigslist, Susan, and I literally changed one thing. I said, F-150 will take payments. Did I sell that truck for $10,000, Susan? She's like, probably. And I go, I did, but I actually sold it for $12,500 because I had like 30 people converge on me. I'll take it. 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 And she's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I go, so I took a $1,000 down and I made, a, I got a $350 payment for whatever. But the powerful thing is, Susan, I sold my truck for two and a half times what most people would think that truck is worth to somebody who didn't have a ton of money down, was just starting their construction business and knew how to, to fix an engine. And so I go, that's how I propose I'll, I'll buy your house for a hundred grand. If you give me terms, I can come up to your $100,000. If you give me screen share capabilities, I'll show you this house. Actually, this is a great, this is a great house. It's one of my favorite houses. It's a, little teeny, it's a little teeny house, but it is powerful to see how these documents are written. So this house on 78th, 1906, 78th place in Mesa. I'm going to show you guys the closing documents and I'll show you. At the time, I had somebody go, dude, you're overpaying for that property. And I'm like, I'm not overpaying for anything. I'm The reality is the value of something is not the purchase price. The value of something is what you can do with it. And so Jose, the gentleman who bought my truck for $12,500, what did he do with that truck for $12,500? Did he overpay for it? Well, some knucklehead would say, yeah, why would he pay that much money? Well, because he didn't have to use his credit. He didn't have to go and verify his employment or tax records or any of that kind of stuff. Okay, This property, you'll see this little screen share. I ended up buying this, as you can see, here's the agreement between me and Susan. And you can see her name right here. Where are they? Oh, Dale and Susan Poyer, right here. Dale and Susan Poyer, Living Trust. They started their Living Trust in 2016, but I bought this property in 2020. This was probably like the 15th or 20th 0% seller finance deal I did, but this was the first zero down 0% seller finance deal I did. So I bought it for hundred grand. She gave me, if you can see right here, what's my interest rate? 0% 0 seller finance. What's my payment? $375 a month. The renter, I took over a renter in this property. She had a tenant in the property. The tenant was paying $1,650 a month. And my payment to Dale and Susan is $375 a month. I make about after insurance and like little bit of repair stuff, I make roughly $1,000 a month net on this property. So check this out. In two years, this is roughly two years ago, I ended up buying it for $110. That's a longer story I'll tell you in a minute. And I bought it two years ago, roughly two and a half years ago, And you can see now the value of the property is now worth two hundred fifty-five thousand dollars. I really don't care about this number, to be honest. Like this number now, I've got one hundred forty-five thousand dollars in equity on the deal. I really don't care about that number. What I care about is the thousand dollars a month this one property makes me every single month. Okay, so she comes to me and she goes, "Well, I want, I do want some money down, pace." I go, "Okay, well, I'll give you money down, but you got to seller finance not only the property to me, you got to seller finance my down payment." And she's like, what? I go, yeah, I'll give you the down payment, but I, I need to take the income from the property to pay that down payment. And she's like, okay, if you buy it from me at $110,000, I'll, I'll do that. I go, okay, great. So what I did is over the course of a year, I made $12,000 net on the income of the property. And I paid her $10,000 out of that income from the property for my down payment, plus her monthly payment of $375. So she seller financed the three hundred seventy five dollars she seller finances the down payment, and I started doing that so many more times. I just started going zero down, whatever interest rate you want, and that's how I buy a ton of my properties now. Zero down. You can do this with anything. You can do this with RVs. You can do it with trailers. You can do it with motorcycles. You can do it with cars. You can do it with houses, multifamily, mobile home parks. I've got we've got nearly nine hundred doors in our portfolio right now,
2: and all of them were purchased with creative finance. Nine hundred doors. So as part of this theory, like let's say you paid 110 for that and you got uh-huh. 0% interest rate. If you finance that 5-6%, say you bought it for even 70 or 80,000 instead of 110, you're going to yeah. pay probably close to $200,000 over yeah. the life of that loan when you include the interest. So when paying 110 with no interest is, you know, really not that bad it sounds like. Is that kind yeah, of part of the yeah, strategy? That's a really good way of looking at it. That's how I used to describe it to people as like, well,
1: who's better off? The person paying 0% interest for 40 grand over retail? Or three percent interest at retail And then you do the calculator, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, the zero percent interest is amazing, because here's what's happened in the two years since I've owned it. I've paid that10,000 dollars down, so now I owed 100, right? That was her down payment over that first year. But I've now owned it for 30 months, roughly. So if you think about it, 30 months at 375 dollars a month, I've paid another 11,250 dollars down on the mortgage. To her, so I only owe 89 dollars on something that is worth now two fifty. I mean, I've paid every penny I paid to Susan pays down the mortgage. Versus, like you have a motorcycle payment, a car payment, an RV payment. Like eighty five percent of your payment goes to interest. None of my money goes to interest, and so I dominate in this strategy. And so, like my net worth is growing crazy every single month because it's the make money while you sleep. When people say like make money in your sleep, they think they're talking about cash flow. And cash flow is great, but the real money that you make while you're sleeping is the money that's being paid down on all your debts by somebody else like a tenant or a or a corporate rental or an Airbnb tenant or something along those lines. They are paying down the debt. Same thing with my airstream. My the person I'm renting my airstream to is paying off my airstream. Not me, they're paying it off. I go and acquire these debts. And I let other people pay them off. It's, I call it crowdsourcing my retirement.
2: Everybody else is building my retirement for me, but me. So why did Susan do this? Was she in foreclosure? I mean, it sounds like she had a good tenant there. So it sounds like she- prob- No. She's
1: So again, let's go back to subject two. This was not a subject two deal. This was a seller finance deal. So subject two, sellers are in pain. So lost Dutchman way, that seller was in pain. He was in foreclosure. Susan, everything with seller finance is about gain. What does that mean? It means they just want to sell their property for a higher dollar amount than what it's worth, and they want to gain more money. They want to win. It's a different demographic. People that are in foreclosure, got situations going on. People that own their properties free and clear, pretty good decision makers, and they're always trying to negotiate and try and get the highest dollar amount for their stuff. And so if you let them win on the purchase price, they'll let you win on the terms. And so that's how I got that. So Dale and Susan, 65 years old, They were in the process of selling all of their rentals because they're like, we just wanted, ironically, you know, it's funny, what do you think they wanted to do? Travel the country in their RV with peace of mind that they don't have to deal with tenants, toilets, trash, none of that stuff. And so she's like, this is great, actually. We get a $375 monthly bill from you. We don't have to deal with the tenants. And I get to sell the house for $110,000 that everybody else is offering me 60s. When somebody says, why? I've already answered it, but I'll give you another reason why. I'll give you multiple reasons why. Number one, no real estate agents got paid in that deal. So nobody took took and had to go through real estate agents that took commissions. She didn't have to pay taxes on the full $110,000 because if she receives the money in in this year, she has to pay taxes on that income. That's income. So she'd have to pay taxes. But if you spread that out over 20 years... Now you have a lower uh, tax liability year over year because who's going to pay more taxes? The person who receives one hundred and ten thousand dollars in cash today, or the person who receives one hundred and ten thousand dollars of cash over twenty years? Well, The one ten today because they're going to base your taxes on this year's income, not oh you sold the prop. You only get taxed on money you receive, not money you technically wrote an agreement for. So she only gets taxed on the payments she receives every single year. So think about it. Her tax liability goes way down. So she gets to keep her actual $110,000. The biggest reason, she's retired. She didn't want to deal with the the tenants. This happens all the time. Me, I'm in building mode. I don't care about dealing with tenants because I know that's a rite of passage. They have already retired. They've accumulated their wealth through real estate. And so now they're in a different phase of their life, which is I want to upgrade myself from the landlord and become the lender. Everybody wants to be the lender. Everybody wants to be the bank. And the biggest reason, besides all of those, is she sold the house for 50 grand more than anybody else was willing to give her. That's it. Like In seller finance and subject to creative finance in general, the seller gets more money and the buyer wins by not having to go through all the bull crap. So there's no inspections, there's no appraisals, there's none of that stuff happens. I literally can just go close on the property in two
3: days. It took us two days to close that deal. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. Not to be morbid, but if she's 65, I mean, really,
2: what good is 110 grand over 20 years? I mean, why wouldn't she want what that? Gu- Just, what don't know good is want her up st- front? what good is? No. What are they going to do with the money up
1: front? These, you guys, if you guys think this way, you guys are thinking the way you're thinking today. Imagine you're retired, right? You're at 65 years old. You're worth probably $5, 7000000 million. That's kind of the average... People that have invested in real estate just dabbling on the side, you're going to be worth five to seven million dollars when you retire. Like, no argument. That's minimum. So, when you're at five to seven million dollars, you got passive income, you've got stocks, you've got social security income, you've got passive money coming in. You don't need a chunk of money. What are you going to do with a chunk of money at 65 years old when you're already worth five or seven million? You ain't doing with that money. You know what I'm saying? Like, these sellers don't need that money. They just want more passive income and a more passive lifestyle. And so first and foremost, don't put your brain in these sellers' heads because your brain, I'm talking people in the audience, you don't have a net worth of these sellers. You don't have the net worth of these sellers. You don't know what they know. And you don't make the same decisions they make. One day you will, and you'll turn around and you go, by the way, guys, if you if you go, check this out. Do you know what Dale and Susan did? They they did what we call creating a note. Okay? They created a note, right? A note between me and them. It's called a promissory note. We created a note. I already showed you the document. That document showed the 0% with 375. They could take that note today and they could go sell that to a note investor. People don't even know there's note investors out there. So a note investor would go, "Oh, I'll buy that note from you." And they could buy it from Dale and Susan for 80 cents on the dollar which gives them upside of return. And Dale and Susan could cash out of my agreement at any point by selling the agreement to somebody else. These things have been going on for a thousand years. It's just that the the normal human beings and their nine to fives and all the like limited knowledge we've been given in the blue collar trades, nobody's telling us this is how real finance works. Okay. So I create notes as well. It's a whole nother topic for another day. But anytime somebody's seller financing something to you, it's called creating a promissory note. I promised to pay you. Therefore, I were writing it on a note. That seller, couldn't that seller go and sell that note to somebody else and just get a chunk of cash today anytime they want? Dale and Susan really needed the cash for some catastrophic event. They don't have to wait for me to pay them off. They could just take their note that is my agreement with them attached to the real estate and go sell that for 80 cents on the dollar, get a big chunk of money and wipe their hands free and clear of the deal. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's just so new to people that they're like, "Wait, where did Pace create this? I didn't create any of this. I've perfected a lot of it because there's not a lot of great information about it out there. It's a, but the people that teach it are like 80 years old, and there's nobody young teaching this with any like real credibility. And so it's crazy. If you guys go online, Google this right now: how to note invest or how to invest in notes. You'll find probably three or four hundred websites where people are trading notes. Three or 400 websites with thousands of people on those websites trading notes. Okay. I'll type it in note investing.
2: We had Dave Van Horn here on the show. Who oh, wrote, Dave's great. Yeah. He wrote the note investing book for Bigger Pockets. So if anybody's interested in listening, there you there go. I can find that episode. So check it out. Guys, look at this. All this stuff real estate, note investing,
1: note investing tools. This one's a really good yield street investing. Minimums is 500 bucks. But you guys can go on here and let's see. Note tools. There's a lot of great YouTube videos about it. Let's see. Buy a seller finance note. We buy private mortgage notes. Number one, direct note buyer. Guys, this is everywhere. Okay, There's people that are buying these notes left, right, and center. This is how real money is made behind the scenes. And nobody knows about it because our school teachers get paid $40,000 a year. They don't give a crap about teaching us this kind of stuff because they don't want to learn it themselves. This is the kind of stuff I wish I knew. Go create a note, sell it, trade notes, pledge notes, do all sorts of crazy stuff.
2: How'd you find like, I, Susan? I haven't even touched it? on 1% of the stuff we do. So how did you find them? Cold call. You just pull Cold a call.
1: It was a list of high equity. You can go on there's a website called Batch Leads that we use. We go to batch leads and you can pull a very specific list. Batchleads.io is the name of it. And batchleads.io, I can find foreclosures, divorces, bankruptcies. I can find high equity. So people have a lot of equity that have their houses paid off free and clear that are more likely to sell or finance to me. We call them and we go, hey, we're looking for a house to buy in the neighborhood. Hey, we're looking for literally we have we have a company called startvirtual.com that does all of our cold calling for us start, like go start virtual.com, start virtual.com. We go hire virtual assistants with them and they cold call and they set up opportunities we go out to the appointments and we buy houses. It's that simple.
2: So I want to go back to the sub two for a second, because I have a couple other questions. I mean, yeah. I have a million questions, but specifically somebody with like a foreclosure, let's go back to that one you had that we talked about. Why wouldn't you just sell it? If he's in foreclosure, yeah, why it, not just sell it? Yeah, no, on the market? Equity. no equity. And think about this, like People
1: go, ah, oh, the market's hot. Everybody has equity. No, they don't, guys. Think about this: in the last three years, where mortgage balance, or, um, mortgage rates have been so low, what have most homeowners been doing? They've been doing cash out refinances. This is why everybody's spending money right now. The government printed trillions of dollars, and every homeowner and their dog in the last five years has done a refinance on their house. So when you do a refinance, you pull out all your equity, you go buy stupid with it, and now you lose your job because of COVID or whatever reason. And now you're in foreclosure on a house that you already took all your equity out of. A lot of times subject to, again, it's people that are in pain. They're in foreclosure. They don't have enough equity
2: to sell the house. So now my other question, big question about subject two, is, because you're assuming their debt, they still have that debt in their name. It's still on their huh. credit report. It's still kind of yeah. screwing their DTI. How do you kind of get around that factor?
1: Well, first and foremost, I'm going to put this on my Instagram here in the next couple of days, but I have a seller that called me the other day. We bought their house subject to seven years ago. Okay. And she called me and she says, Hey, I just want to thank you. Like Everything you said to me worked exactly the way you said it would. And at the time, she didn't want to sell the house to me subject to, because she's like, well, why would I let you take over my debt? It's still in my name. And I'm like, Lauren, your house is in foreclosure. You need me to take over your mortgage. And get this mortgage back into a good standing position so that one day in the future, two years, three years, five years, whatever it is, you go to buy another house and you don't have a foreclosure on your record. Let me stop the foreclosure, take over the mortgage balance, and have a mortgage in good standing that I am paying for and rebuilding your credit. She goes, Oh, wow, I'd never thought about it that way. People that are in subject, but that I buy from subject to, I only improve their credit. As far as the debt to income ratio goes, this is another conversation we're going to get into the weeds on. We teach people how to overcome the debt to income ratio. So for example, how do landlords own hundreds of properties with loans? People think that real estate investors go buy houses with cash. Guys, I don't know one real estate investor that buys houses with cash unless they're like 60 years old and they have a ton of cash. Dave Ramsey. Most people coming... Here's the thing. He's a genius, and he's very intelligent, and he saves a lot of people a lot of money. And people that are fearful of growing and becoming a multi-millionaire, guys, if you are a Dave Ramsey advocate, have fun being worth two or three million dollars when you're 65, and that two or three million dollars will be worth to in today's money 200 grand. You will never truly be able to retire with Dave Ramsey's plan if you want to live any sort of successful. Like, I want to drive a car. I want to drive. I want to eat food. I want to eat. This guy. Teaches you guys how to be a slave to a lower barrier lifestyle. What Dave should be teaching you is how to go make more money. Go teach people how to make more money and stack skills like rent RVs, buy real estate. Anyway, people aren't buying things with cash. Okay. What landlords are doing is they're going to a bank and they're getting a loan and they're turning into a rental and they're stacking wealth and they do another one. They do another one. They do it. An- they go get 10, 15 loans their debt to income ratio does not support them getting 10 to 15 loans. So how do you do that? The way you do it is you show that the property is being paid for that you bought last month. And then you go to the new bank, you go, hey, that property is being paid for by my tenants. Here's my proof of rentals. And what they do is they lower that payment from your previous loan off of your debt to income ratio that justifies you buying another one, and then justifies you buying another one. So the way we do this, is we coach our sellers on showing proof that the bank note or the su- subject to deal is being paid for. And how do they do that? I use a third-party servicing company. Called, I use a company called Evergreen Note Servicing. Okay, Evergreen Note Servicing. And Evergreen Note Servicing handles all... They take money out of my account, they make the payment to the seller's mortgage, and then they re- create a report. They are a licensed third-party to service mortgages. So when the seller goes to get another mortgage and the mortgage company says, hey, you have, a, you have an old mortgage here. The seller goes, here's proof that it's being paid for by a third-party licensed company that services the note and I'm not the one paying for it. Somebody else is paying for it. And the new lender will take that payment off of their debt to income ratio, allowing them to buy another house. So Lauren, the person who called me, she literally called me to say, I just want to thank you. I was so fearful that I wasn't going to be able to get another mortgage because I don't make enough money to support two house payments. But because you provided the servicing company, she gets an email every month. Every time her payment is made on her subject two loan, she gets an email every month. Payment's been made and she gets a report, a PDF report, tracking all the times that I've made the payment. She, all she had to do was show that to her new mortgage company and they took that balance off her,
2: of her DTI even big banks, like the most conventional banks you can think of do that? Yeah. Every bank does that. I was a licensed loan officer. That's what we did.
1: As a loan officer, what you do is you look at everybody's child support. You're this, you're how many cars you have, what's your... And then you compare it against their income. You go, your debt to your income ratio is not good enough. And so what we do as loan officers is we coach people on how to overcome that. Like, all right, here's what we need to do. We need to wipe out this credit card thing. We need to do this. And then we can make your debt to income ratio work. So as a loan officer, a lot of times people would come to us for another rental purchase, or even I saw people that sold their house subject to would come to us three years later and would go, hey, I already have a mortgage in my name, but somebody else is paying it. And I go, oh, that's easy. All we got to do is show that they're the ones paying for it. And I can bring it to my underwriters and say, you're not obligated on that debt, or
2: you're not the one paying it. Just like a landlord has a, a tenant paying it. Could you just give her the copy of the lease that you have? Because as the owner of that rental, that's usually what you do is you give the lender for your next property yeah. your lease. Could you just do that with so,
1: her? So I have a property on... This one's a really good one. I like showing this one because of how much money I've made on it. And the seller and I are like really good friends. We became really good friends. So this property on 2720 North Sterling, I bought it for such a weird dollar amount right here, 372788 seven eighty eight. I bought it for that weird dollar amount because that's what the seller owed on the mortgage was exactly $372,788. I bought it roughly three years ago, coming on three years ago. And look how much it's worth now. I've made $308,000 in appreciation on that property in 30 months. Crazy. This property I turned into an Airbnb, but the seller is Dave Byarsky is his name. Dave Bajarski. Why did he sell this property to me? Well, because Robert, he was in process of buying a brand new home, literally in the same neighborhood, and he didn't have any equity on that house, twenty-seven twenty North Sterling, because he had just done a cash out refi, pulled out all his cash. He hires a real estate agent to sell the property for him, like six months after he does the cash out refi, because he saw a house being built or like the newer subdivision inside that big, greater planned community. He's like, I want to buy that house. I want a new house. So he goes over, puts a $20,000 deposit on that new house. And the lender for that new house goes, hey, you got to go sell the house on Sterling so I can approve you by the time this house gets built. So what does he do? He goes home, tells his wife, Jeannie, hey, Jeannie, we got to sell this house. Who should we call? They hire a friend, a real estate agent, friend of theirs. And that friend is like, you just did a cash out refi? Like, How are you going to sell this thing? You have no equity, dude. So they listed it for like 410, couldn't sell it, lowered it to 390. They were getting offers at like 390, but he owes 372. If he sold it for 390, the seller doesn't get that $18,000 difference. That goes to commissions and closing costs and all sorts of stuff. The seller, Dave, would have had to sell that property in sterling and cut a check for 20 grand to get rid of that house because he had already sucked out all the energy out of that deal with a cash out refi. So the agent calls me and goes, Hey, Pace. I know you're the creative guy. Would you be interested in doing something creative on this house? I'm like, yeah, of course. So I bought that house subject to, And the number one question Dave had was, Pace, my new lender on my house that's being built right now needs to see that I've sold this house. I go, no, Dave, your, your lender needs to see that you're not responsible for the payment. And so what we did is we wrote a lease agreement. Okay. I didn't even have a tenant in the property yet, but we wrote a lease agreement. And we issued that lease agreement to the lender. And the lender took that as a way... And they took off 75% of his payment from his DTI because it had been like literally the first day, day one. It was like, here's the lease agreement. And the lender goes, all right, I'll take 75%
2: off the DTI. And it made the deal work. All of this makes a ton of sense. But go back to Jose with your truck as an example. What happens if he doesn't pay you? And all of this sounds good, we're kind of in an interesting time right now in the economy. What happens if something that you bought subject to, or even seller financing, you're having issues with the tenant, you can't make the mortgage payment. Somebody buys an RV to rent it out. They got debt on it. They can't make the note because people are starting to rent RVs because they don't have the disposable income. What right. do we do in those situations? Like This seems like a really good strategy, but I'm just a little bit worried that it's a uh, when times are good strategy. No. I mean, think about 2008, right? So market crashes, market crashes.
1: What did not crash? Rental rates. Rental rates did not crash. In fact, rental rates go go up in a bad economy because people can't afford to live in their house. So they go and room together and they go get an apartment buildings or they go and move in with each other and they rent. We are becoming a renter's nation. In 10 years, we'll have half of our nation will be renting. Right now, it's 38% of us are renting. Rental rates have always and will always go up. So if like even if you just Google this, we go rental rates. uh, They started tracking them in 1914- like when they had the technology to do so. And you'll see rental rates have always gone up. And so when, even in 2018, where is this thing? Two, I'm sorry, in 2008, rent rates went up. Okay. So when the market crashes, people who have rentals kill it. What do I care? Like Think about, think about this. I have a house right there on Sterling right now. I just showed it to you. The house on Sterling, I owe $370,000 on, on that mortgage. It's now worth $680,000, right? What do I care if it goes down to $300,000 and I'm underwater 70 grand? I don't care. The reason I bought that property was not so that I saw the value go up and down. The reason I bought that property is to see monthly cash flow from my rental. When the market crashes, people's houses values go down, people get foreclosed on, people get kicked out of their houses, and then where do they go? They go to rent houses didn't go vacant on rentals in 2008. Rentals went up because how people could not afford houses. So if there is an economic shift, which this has happened, I mean, go back every eight to 10 years in all of our real estate history that we've been tracking, you'll see economic downturn in real estate, housing market crashes, values of properties go up, guess what goes, goes down? Guess what goes up? Rentals. Rentals have always and will always continue to compound, 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 and go higher and higher and higher and higher. Never in history, never in recorded history of real estate have we ever had a reversal on rental rates. Rental rates have always gone up. So I buy things based on not the equity. And I tell people all the time equity comes, equity goes, but the cash will always flow. If I bought a property based on cash flow, I will always cash flow that property except for one category. There's only one category that will not cash flow during an economic depression short term rentals. What's that? Short term rentals. Short term rentals. They get their beat. I have seven luxury Airbnbs, and I already know that my other 50 something Airbnbs that are kind of lower end Airbnbs, they'll dominate because people are still going to travel. They still go to seminars. They still go to graduations. They still see people in hospitals. They still go travel around. Now, and especially in the pandemic, post pandemic world, people are traveling and living in my Airbnbs for two, three months at a time, which is amazing. But they don't do that in luxury Airbnbs. In luxury Airbnbs, it's like, four day weekends at six hundred dollars a night, they'll spend twenty five hundred bucks. What's going to happen on my luxury Airbnbs is I will be at a net loss on my luxury Airbnbs during that time during our upcoming economic depression. But my lower end Airbnbs will more than overcome the the cash flow disadvantage. And like you said, you're
2: And I'll keep those properties through the cash flow.
1: Yeah, okay. And I'll I'll keep my luxury Airbnbs. I'm not going to get rid of them. Some people are like dump them, dump them, dump them. I'm like, I'm they're being paid down. I'm, these are my retirement. I'm, I'm going to retire when I hit a billion dollars in, in net worth, and it's, I'm going to do it all through real estate. I'm, I'm not going to sell anything until they're all, until I'm like 65 years old. So I'll keep everything. There's no point in me
3: selling a property. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
4: Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's
3: easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. This is a paid advertisement.
4: Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All
2: right, back to the show. I know you're still buying deals because you're, so I know the the, uh, current conditions are not really slowing you down. I know you just bought, you were mentioning you're coming back from Texas. You bought a 40 unit deal in Texas. I know you also bought it with a $0 down, 4% interest rate and a 50 year note. Walk us through that deal and, and how you landed it. Okay. So, number
1: one, social media. Okay. I got it from social media. It was a wholesaler who their mentor doesn't teach them creative finance. He's sitting there cold calling apartment buildings and trying to buy apartment buildings at 60 cents on the dollar and he he'll DM me deals and go hey I got a deal hey I got a deal I'm like these aren't deals man like if it's a cash deal you got to buy it at 60 cents on the dollar if it's a creative finance deal I'll buy it at 100 cents on the dollar I'll buy it for whatever it's worth or even more as long as I have really good terms and he's like I don't know terms so he just kept sending me cash deals for months and I finally go dude don't send me another cash deal I'm not interested in looking at cash deals and he goes, well, I don't know how to do creative finance. I'm like, go to my YouTube channel, go watch a bunch of YouTube stuff, like how to talk to sellers. And when you get a seller that's interested in terms, I will then look at your lead. So he sends me this thing in San Angelo, 40 units. So San Angelo is like three hours away from Dallas. It's a 40, it's actually 43 units and the seller has owned it for 15 years or so. And the seller says, I would love to sell this to you on seller finance. I would love to sell this to you on seller finance. And I'll tell you the reasons why in a couple of minutes. So I get on the phone with the seller. I negotiate the deal. I give the seller exactly the dollar amount he's looking for because the seller, again, guys, these sellers are not you and they're not me. These sellers that have big portfolios, a lot of them are worth 50 to $100 million. And some of you in the audience cannot even fathom that number because you haven't hit your first million dollars yet. Once you hit your first million, your second million, your fifth million, your tenth million, you start realizing there's a lot of rich people out there that own a lot of real estate that look like bums, like they don't have matching socks, they drive cars with like donut tires on them. They, but they're worth fifty million bucks. It's crazy. This seller goes, I would love to sell this on seller finance, and so I get it under contract for. Uh, I tell him I want a lower payment, and he goes, Well, how do you propose to do a lower payment? Because he wants interest, right? He wants interest. I go, well, let's do a zero down because I'm buying another 53 unit this next week. I'm putting actually a good amount of money down. If you let me do $0 down, and how did, I con- how did I convince him on $0 down? I just told you. You just might not have picked it up. I told Mario, the seller, I said, look, I've got another deal I'm buying this week where I'm putting a lot of cash down. That shows credibility. That shows it's a third-party story. Like I'm buying other deals other than him. And I go, so I'm going to be tapped out on cash for a couple of months, which I'm not, but I always say this. So if you let me get into the deal with no money, then I can buy it at your purchase price, which was $3 million. And I'll pay you whatever you want. So he goes, all right, let's do 3 million, no money down. And then he added a uh, 5% interest and I negotiated him to 4% interest because he's like, well, the interest rates are really high right now. I'll split the difference between 4% and 6%, which is now the interest rates are at 6%. I'm like, "Well, Mario, the interest rates are high temporarily because they're trying to slow down the market. Should I come back to you in a year when the market when the interest rates come back down or start tinkering down or should we just negotiate something that works for both parties?" He's like, "Yeah, that makes sense." So, he came up with 4%. The payment was like $17,000 based on that setup. So, I go, "It's a little high for me. I want to try and get my payment to you somewhere between $10 and $12,000." And so the way we did that is we took a 30-year agreement and we stretched it to 50 years so that he actually gets more interest long-term. Again, people are like, well, why wouldn't he want the money up front? Guys, the only people that want money up front are broke. These guys have a lot of money. What is he going to do with $3 million? Okay, He's going to go invest it in something. So let's pay attention to this. You people that don't understand financing do not understand this. They think of this as if they are the seller. You are not the seller. You do not own the $3 million property outright. You are not the seller. So stop thinking like you are the seller. You're not. Mario goes, this is super advantage advantageous for me. So we do a YouTube video all about this, which we haven't edited yet. And he goes through about 11 reasons why this is advantageous to him. So if you're in the audience, write these things down and don't ever ask me why a seller would do this ever again, because here's the reasons why. Number one, if he sold this for $3 million, on the market with an agent, it will cost him about 12% to sell that property. Why? Because commission to an agent, commission to an agent, closing costs, concessions, survey, all the things that have to be done on a multifamily property to sell the property average around 12%. So the seller pays that 12%. So what is 12% of $3 million? It's $360,000. So right there, $360,000 more money goes to his bottom line. It is a way better investment for him to sell to me than going through an agent. So that's number one. Number two, when he bought the property, he bought the property for $1.5 million. So if he sells it to me for $3 million and he takes the cash in year one, he now has a significant tax liability. He's not going to take... I'll whiteboard this real quick, because people are going to lose track of this. Hold on a second. If he sells the property for $3 million, he's going to pay $360,000 in closing costs, commissions, all that kind of stuff, because the seller pays for that. Okay. And then he's also, let's say his net, remember he bought the property for $1.5 million. So he has a $1.5 million gain in that time frame that he's owned it if he sold it to me for 3 million. Now if you take that 360 out then he technically here let's go down here. You can tell I use this whiteboard a lot. 1.5 million dollar gain in that time frame. Subtract his 360 that he has to pay to agents and all that kind of stuff. He technically has a 1.14 million dollar gain. He's going to pay massive tax on that gain if he sells this property in the first year. Massive. He'll probably pay somewhere around 30%. So now not only did he have to pay this out in commissions, he's now going to have to pay 30% in taxes for selling the property. And so he's going to walk away. Instead of making $1.5 million like most knuckleheads think he's going to make, because he owed he bought it for 1.5, he sold it for three. Oh, he's going to make $1.5 million. No, he's not going to make $1.5 million. Why would a seller sell to you any other way besides seller finance? That's the way you have to think about this he avoids all the commissions, all the closing costs, all the broker stuff, all the surveys, all the home warranties and all that kind of crap. Then he avoids the tax liability of 30% of this, which is another $340,000 in taxes. So right here, between this 360 and this 340, he's already sold the property for $700,000 more because of seller finance than he would have if he sold through cash. So, the question you have to stop and ask yourself really is why would any seller sell to you for cash? They're going to lose 700 grand right out of the gates. Now, there's some major benefits there. The third reason, this was actually his number one reason, is he said he wanted to sell the property because he's 55 years old. He's like, I've been retired since I was 35. Okay. His name's Mario. Mario moved from Bulgaria to America, New York City, with $60 in his pocket 35 years ago when he was 20. And he lived in his cousin's house, like in their basement in Long Island. And he would go work at a restaurant down the street. And within two months, he went and took his broker's, like broker school, and learned terminology and started learning English. And he bought his first deal ever, was a subject to deal 35 years ago. He's been doing creative finance for 35 years. And so he's like, for him, he's like, this is easy for me. But now he's like, even though I've been retired since I was like 30 or 35, I'm sorry. I've been retired since I was 35 years old. He's like, I want to be really retired because right now, even though since 35, I haven't had to worry about like income. I still deal with the tenants. I'm I'm kind of a smaller mon paw. Like this is a thing a lot of people also don't understand is that these landlords get to be tired landlords. They get to a point where they're like I'm done like dealing with the tenants and the property management. I'm done. I just want to retire. I've got he's got a 12 year old boy. He's like I don't get to see my son as much as I'd like, and so I'm selling all my assets on seller finance so that I have true passive income. The problem is, as he's selling this property for $3 million, he goes, the hard thing right now is that I don't have something to roll into through a 1031 exchange. If I sell this for cash, even after spending all this money on commissions, closing costs, et cetera, if I want to avoid the tax, I would have to 1031, roll that money into another deal. He goes, that means I got to buy another deal. I don't want to buy another deal. I want to retire. This is instead of doing a 1031 exchange, this is a way that sellers will avoid paying all of those taxes. I've given you like hundreds, not hundreds, but probably a dozen reasons or so why this works. No appraisal, no inspection, no real estate agents on either side, no survey. You can close this transaction in less than five days. Do you know how long it takes for me to go? I have a, we just closed a $109 million purchase in Charlotte, North Carolina, 440 units, a multifamily took us six months to get the lending put together for that. Six months. So it avoids all of that. So if he was going to sell this on cash, guess what? His buyer was going to have to go get a loan to buy the property. That lender is going to go through appraisals and inspections and all sorts of stuff. He gets to avoid all of that. All of it. I was sitting there listening to Mario tell me all the reasons why he sold the property. And I wrote them all down. He says, I'll receive more money. I avoided 1031. No agents or commissions. I will make more money because of that. Seller will be upgraded from landlord to the lender, which is the highest calling in all of real estate. And I will have true passive income. The tax benefits, the seller will be able to spread out all his tax benefits. No more tenants. This is number nine. And then he also, check this out, he will receive interest payments on this sale. He's getting 4% interest, guys. Think about this. So if we go to bankrate.com, for example, okay, go to bankrate.com, and here, let's go bank rate. I'll pull this up in just a second. Bank rate mortgage calculator. Okay. If you go to bank rate mortgage calculator and you type in $3 million at 4% interest, let's look at this. So let's say $3 million, no down payment. That's 30 million, right? 30 million. Now I have a 30-year mortgage on this. So forgive me on this. I'm sorry, I have a 40-year mortgage. So my payment's going to be lower than this. My payment, and bank rate won't let me do a 50-year mortgage on this, which is annoying, but it is what it is. In a 30-year mortgage, look at this, $0 down 3% or $3 million for 30 years at 4%. My payment to the seller okay, is $14,000. This is what's powerful. Okay? Let's look at the amortization on this. The amortization on this shows you, you guys don't know this calculator. A lot of people don't know this calculator. You look at how much interest he'll make on this deal. Did he sell this property to me for $3 million, or did he sell this property to me for $5,156,239? He will receive an additional $2 million of interest on this deal because he did this deal with me. Now, Mario's not going to be around to receive those checks. But guess what? Mario doesn't need those checks today. He's already a wealthy real estate investor. Where do those payments go? They go to his estate and his children and his grandchildren and all that kind of stuff. Guys, all the wealthy people, the Rothschilds and all these people that are out there in the world, they build wealth to leave to their children. Why would somebody at 55 years old take... There's no balloon payment on this, by the way. I I have all the way for 50 years, I can make this payment for the rest of my 50 years. My payment's 11 grand. But he'll probably get 2 million or so in interest. So there's another reason why a seller would sell to you on seller finance is because they get interest on the deal. Remember, I'm not negotiating with somebody in my position. I'm negotiating typically with somebody at a much higher, more elevated position than me financially, and they have the ability to play the bank. This happens all the time. In fact, a lot of the properties that people buy with multifamily between 50 units and 100 units, they all are purchased on seller finance to some degree. It's crazy.
2: And like we talked about earlier, he could sell that note if he really wanted to.
1: Yeah. And he said that. He's like, if I need money for whatever reason, I could go sell this $3 million note for $2.7 million. And he's like, I'm still going to walk away with more money in my pocket if I sold the note than if I went through a real estate agent and commissions and closing costs and surveys and this, that, and the other. He's like, for him, he says, there's
2: no benefit to him selling on cash. No benefit. Pace, you have convinced, let's assume you've convinced people listening to the show. They're like subject to seller financing, whatever creative financing strategy it is that they learn from you. That's the route they want to go. Where do they start?
1: Guys, any, any other business, okay? Any business, you have to have leads. You have to have people to talk to, okay? If you're brand new, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I have a free Facebook group called Creative Finance with Pace Morby. There's 50,000 people in that Facebook group all doing these, not doing these deals. There's probably about 10,000 people in that group actually doing a good amount of these types of deals. The other 40,000 people are learning and they are adding value to the other 10,000 people by saying, let me drive and look for ugly houses. Let me do this for you. Let me provide value. Let me go take photos for a property. I would say get involved in a community of people that are doing this. It's just like how do I learn how to ride motocross better? I get around friends that are riding motocross. Join Facebook groups, go go to the track, go up in the mountains and hang out with these people and ask them why are you using that Alpine Star boot versus that Alpine Star boot? Why do you like that helmet versus that helmet? What are you guys doing when you can't get your motorcycle to start? You have to be around people that have the answers. And so I would suggest they go to my free Facebook group it's free to join and free to stay in there for the rest of your life. I don't sell anything in that Facebook
2: group. Other than just the Facebook group, I want to as we round up this episode, I want to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can go to find you. We talked a lot about social media earlier. What's your YouTube channel? What are your Instagram, Twitter, whatever other platforms you're on? What are your handles that everybody can go find you? Everything's under Pace Morby. I was lucky enough to have a name that's unique,
1: so Pace Morby, you just look me up on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. YouTube I would say is the my favorite. Because it's longer form, right? Like we've been on here two hours and nine minutes. In it, for me, it feels like seven minutes because I love talking about this stuff. And so, if you guys want more things where I'm talking to sellers and I'm breaking down deals and you see me explaining things in longer form, my YouTube channel is the best place to go. Just Pace Morby, YouTube.com forward slash Pace Morby.
2: I will link to all of Pace's resources in the show notes below for anybody that's interested in connecting them. I'll also put the resources he mentioned a couple different start virtual, the note collection, evergreen note servicing, and a bunch of other stuff. I'll put all that in the show notes below for anybody else that's interested in checking those out as well. Pace, I really enjoyed this. I think this is the longest podcast we've had. I really appreciate you taking such a big chunk out of your day to meet with me and, and teach the audience. Thank you.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity. You you guys have a great show and happy to come back. If you guys ever get questions from your audience, they want to talk about a specific episode or a specific thing and deep dive on it for 30 or 40
2: minutes. I'm happy to come back for a part two of this anytime. That sounds great. I will definitely take you up on that. Everybody, if you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Pace. Let him know that you heard it here. I know you guys are great, great about that. So please continue to do that. Pace, thanks so much. Thank you, brother. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of real estate investing. I'll see you again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to the investorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investor's Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.